Please turn with me in your Bibles to Paul's letter uh, to the Ephesians, just the first chapter there. We're going to be focusing on the second half of the chapter, roughly, verses 15 to the end, in particular verses 19 and 20 um, that deal with the resurrection of Jesus. But it's such a glorious chapter, uh, and the first half of the chapter gives such meaningful context to what we're going to be focusing on tonight. Uh, I'd like to read the whole chapter. Um, it's not a long chapter, but it certainly is, um, uh, certainly is stuffed with wonderful uh, salvific meaning. So let's, um, let's focus on the second half, but read the entire chapter this evening. This is God's holy word. Let's listen attentively as it's read. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespass, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him, who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory." In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. And now the passage we're going to be focusing on tonight. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all. In all. Keep your thumb there in Ephesians chapter 1. We will be looking at a few other passages tonight, but returning back to those verses in particular. Well, if you've been paying attention to the news, the, the world news lately, 
um, you know there's been a lot of drama recently uh, in the British royal family. Uh, Prince Harry hasn't been playing nicely with the rest of his royal clan, and the tabloids have been eating it up like mice to cheese. I don't know all the details. I don't care to know all the details. But uh, apparently Harry has written a, a critical memoir, uh, and it's on the bookshelf. You can buy it. He's cashing in on all the drama, working hard to distance himself from his family, uh, citing all si sorts of irreconcilable differences uh, with his royal family members. And characteristically, the British royal family has remained silent. Their infamous motto over time has been, never complain, never complain. But behind the scenes, I imagine that they are thinking, if not saying, Harry just doesn't appreciate how good he has it. He has it so good in our family, he just doesn't appreciate it. Well, thank the Lord, none of us are national royalty. But we're something more important than that. We are the sons and the daughters of the God who is the King of the universe. And by faith in Jesus Christ, we are royal heirs. We're royal heirs to all of the inheritance of God, all the riches of heaven. And we could ask ourselves, as perhaps Harry should ask himself, do we know how good we have it? Do we grasp, do we understand, do we appreciate how good we have it? as the royal sons and daughters of God? Have we learned to embrace with the eyes of faith all the benefits of being united to Jesus Christ? Well, that's Paul's concern here in this entire chapter and certainly in the second half of Ephesians 1. What I just read is his zealous petition, and, and we, can, we can tell how Paul's uh, zeal comes through here because this section of text is one long sentence in the original Greek. It's as if Paul is breathlessly, uh, without any pause whatsoever, trying to enumerate the wonderful spiritual blessings that believers have in Jesus Christ. And he says, but, but you need to grasp that. You need to understand the hope and the glory and the power that is yours right now because of the resurrection of Jesus. And so tonight we're going to learn to grasp more practically what the resurrection means for us. And I hope we'll see together that the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and all of the glories that, that followed His resurrection prove to us the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us right now as we seek to live the Christian life. Well, in his letter, Paul enumerates the vast spiritual blessings that true believers have if they are united to Jesus by faith. And I read the first half of Ephesians 1 because this is where he does that. He enumerates these vast spiritual blessings. He says in verses 3 through 14, he's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He predestined us as love, in love. He adopted us as sons through Jesus Christ. We have redemption through his blood. We have the forgiveness of our sins. 
We have obtained an inheritance, he says, having been predestined according to his purpose, which works all things for our good. We've been sealed by the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of that inheritance until we receive it in full. These glorious spiritual blessings that he, he, he breathlessly explains and reminds the church that they have. And it's for that reason, because of these great blessings, that he says in verses 15 and following, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you, you understand the nature of those blessings. He prays fervently and confidently for the saints that God would open the eyes of their hearts so that they would embrace Christian hope, that they would glory in their inheritance, that they would grasp the immeasurable greatness of God's power towards them. And what kind of power is that? Paul says it's resurrection power, resurrection power. He says in verse 19 and 20, he says, I, I want you to know, I want you to grasp what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. Paul says something remarkable here that we're going to focus on this evening. He says that the power at work in the Christian, in the Christian church, is the same power that God worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, when He seated Him in a position of ultimate authority in heaven. We could summarize Paul's message to the church in this way. Paul says, dear Christian, I want you to get it. I want you to grasp how God has equipped you to live right now in the strength of His power. And it's not an ordinary power. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's the same power that conquered every enemy a Christian will ever face. Paul says, in this life, dear Christian, you have everything that you need for life and godliness. And we hear that on this Resurrection Sunday. We might think, it sounds wonderful, but so what? How am I supposed to react to that news? That the same power at work at Jesus' tomb is at work toward me. You may say, I don't feel that power. I don't seem to experience that power. That sounds so abstract, so theoretical. Of what practical value is that? Even if it's a spiritual reality, what tangible aspect or what tangible impact does it have on my life here and now? When we think about the benefits of the resurrection, that's what we struggle with very often, isn't it? We think that the resurrection has future significance for me. I'm going to get my body back someday, and it's going to be all shiny and new. But it doesn't seem to have much impact right now. And apparently, the first century believers had the same problem. Because Paul seems to anticipate that very objection, that we don't feel the all-surpassing resurrection power of God that is now at work towards us. 
And perhaps the main reason why we might miss out on grasping that amazing power towards us is that we have become spiritually dull. We have uh, come to lack Christian maturity. We need our powers of discernment trained. Maybe we've become unaware of how great our sin is. We've, we've lost a sense of how great the spiritual battle that is being raged around us really is. We've lost a sense of how great God's power must be to defeat sin. We've lost an understanding of how great a Savior we must have to rescue us from sin and death. That's why Paul says here, God must open the eyes of our hearts so that we grasp, so we appreciate, so we apply the amazing truths of this promise. So tonight, if you're struggling to make practical sense real-life sense of the resurrection and its benefits for you right now, I invite you to pray that God would make you receptive to these things so that they don't remain theoretical, they don't remain abstract, but they become immensely practical and determinative for how you live your life right here and now. Pray that God would take away any dullness of mind or, or apathy in your heart so that you might know, that you might grasp the immeasurable greatness of God's resurrection power toward you for your life right now. And my prayer is that He will do that through the sermon this evening. But we need to spend quite a bit more time with this passage. There's much here to look at to to gain a practical sense of the value, the benefit of the resurrection of Jesus for us, we need to figure out here what is that great power that we need to know and experience so that it impacts our lives here and now. Paul says a couple things here we need to focus on. In verses 18 and 19 in particular, Paul says he wants us to know three things. And our emphasis tonight is on the third thing. He prays, I want you to know, first of all, the hope to which He's called you. I want you to know the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and I want you to know the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe. And it's that third thing, that third spiritual reality that we want to focus on tonight. Paul wants us to focus on these things, which are spiritual realities, because he wants us to grow up in the faith so that we become more conscious of God's resurrection power at work in us and for us right now. And so he he does that by showing us what this immeasurably great power of God is like. He says, though it's immeasurable in its effect, we can't plumb the depths of it, still we can scratch the surface of what God's power is like when we look at its practical impact on the life of Jesus following His resurrection as well as our lives. And the rest of the chapter here really shows us uh, what we need to grasp in order to appreciate the practical benefits of Jesus' resurrection, whose power is at work in us as believers. The first thing we note in verse 20 is this, that God conquered death in Jesus' tomb as well as in our lives. In verse 20, Paul says the power of God toward us right now is the same power that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. And what happened there at Jesus' tomb? 
on resurrection morning. Jesus' resurrection put death to death. At the resurrection, God removed the sting of death. Paul says that elsewhere in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 54. He says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written in the Old Testament, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. At the resurrection tomb of Jesus, God vanquished the power of death once and for all. And He did not just do that for Jesus. He vanquished sin and death for us. Death remains the final enemy of the believer. But it is no longer a threat to the security of the believer. Death is, is now a blessed gateway into eternal life. Death, as we experience it here below, is not pleasant in the least. It is so hard for us to watch a loved one suffer and the pangs of death and suffering as they await their entrance into glory. Our hearts hurt, they ache for many years after. Death's doorway is rough, it's splintered on this side of heaven. But on the other side, it is gilded, it is bejeweled, it paves the way to our Father. That's the resurrection power that we experience right now. The power of God that vanquished death in Jesus' grave, that gave Him new life, that life proceeds from Him to us when He raised us spiritually from the dead and gave us new life. That power at work in Jesus' tomb opened our blind eyes. It conquered our rebellious wills and created new hearts in us that love God and can love others. And that same power will guard us from the dominion of our indwelling sin and bring us to the end with a faith that perseveres. This is resurrection power right now toward us who believe. The second thing Paul says here, again in verse 20, is that God, after His resurrection, by the same power that raised Him from the dead, God put Jesus on the throne, and He's put us there with Him as well. Verse 20 says that the power of God toward us right now is the same power that God worked when He seated Jesus at His right hand in the heavenly places. The power, Paul says, that ordained Jesus and seated Him at this position of, of power at His right hand has also put us there with Him. Later on in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, we read, God raised us up with Him, resurrection language, raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Power that took Jesus from death and put him eternally in God's presence put you there too and keeps you there. 
And that reality is hard for us to to see. It's not something that we can see with our physical eyes. As we look around us, as we look at the Christian life in this age, we see that our, our condition, our status as Christians is often one of weakness and suffering. We face constant temptation. We are being more and more marginalized in our society and in this world. And in his commentary on this passage, John Calvin notes that this this blessedness of reigning with Christ in the heavenly places is something that does not is not beheld by the eyes. Not yet. It's a reality that that lies in hope. It's not perceived by the world. The power of the Spirit is a thing unknown to mere flesh and blood. A thousand distresses, he says, to which we are daily liable, render us more despised than all other men. We don't see with our eyes the exalted state of the Christian that we reign with Christ in the heavenly places. And that's why we must contemplate our exalted state, not cultivate and not contemplate it in our experience or our feelings, but we contemplate our exalted state in the mirror of Jesus Christ. We look to where He is and join our hearts to Him in faith. If we look to our experience, we're going to see that we labor under the effects of sin daily. If we look to our experience, we're going to see that we're surrounded by hardships and disappointments and that we are engaged in an ongoing spiritual battle. And that's why we have to take our eyes off of our circumstances and look to Christ. Where is our Savior? He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and we are there with Him by faith. Where He is There we are as well. Christ rules over heaven and earth. He triumphs gloriously over every enemy of the Christian. And God makes us partners in that victory, that rule. That is resurrection power right now toward us who believe. The third thing that Paul says here in verse 21 is that after the resurrection, by the same power that raised Him from the dead, God put Jesus over every evil power in the universe, and He placed us there with Him by faith. The power of God toward us right now is the same power that God worked when He exalted Christ, He says, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. Who are these rulers and authorities and powers and dominions? They are the spiritual forces of wickedness of evil that that seek to usurp Christ's rule and steal away His people. This is Satan and his minions who, who prowl around like roaring lions seeking whom they may devour. But God has set Jesus over these foes, and we stand over them in Him. Paul says in Colossians 2.15 that Jesus disarmed 
He took away the weapons. He handcuffed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Jesus Christ. He did that at the cross, and He claimed that victory. He proved it at the open tomb. At His resurrection, Jesus confirmed and celebrated His victory over the multitudes of hell. And though we're called to be vigilant and watchful in this spiritual battle, we can fight with the absolute certainty that final victory is sure. Imagine fighting a war or a battle knowing before it even begins, that the victory is absolutely sure. You would fight with confidence. You'd fight committed. You'd fight with zeal. That is how we are called to be watchful and to be vigilant as Christians in the midst of this spiritual battle in this life. Not wavering, not fearing, not wondering what the outcome will be, but fighting in the strength and the power of God, knowing that sin and doubt and depression and anxiety will never have the last word in the Christian's life if we have embraced the reality that the power of God at work towards us is a victorious resurrection power right now. Finally, Paul says in verses 22 to 23 that the power of God toward us right now is the same power that God worked when He put all things under His feet and gave Jesus as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. You notice Paul says two glorious things here. First, he says that the risen Jesus Christ is head over all things. That means that He has active, genuine authority over all things in heaven and on earth. He has active, full authority over all of history, over all human beings, over all demonic powers. He has authority and control over every tragedy that has ever occurred. He has authority over the plans and the devices of men, over all things that exist, whether modern science has discovered them or not. As R.C. Sproul was prone to say, there is no rogue molecule in the entire universe. Every molecule, every atom, every subatomic particle is exactly where it should be at this very moment because Jesus is the rightful Lord and ruler of all things. And that's amazing enough to contemplate. But the second thing Paul acknowledges is that Jesus is Lord in a particular and special way. We read, God gave Him as head over all things to the church to the church. Because of the resurrection from the dead, all of Jesus' power and authority and wisdom is exercised in the service of and for the work of His church. And that means that wherever Jesus rules, wherever His authority is exercised, there we rule with Him. 
God's power towards us intends to fill the universe with the authority of His Son. And He makes us the instruments of declaring that kingdom, that rule over all things, where He rules, the church rules as well. What does that mean for us practically? It means that everything that occurs in this life, everything that happens to the church, even if it's unpleasant for a time, everything that happens serves God's ultimate purpose to save and to prosper and to exalt His church and you, Christian, on the last day and into eternity. And it's all because of the resurrection power at work in Christ towards us right now for those who are believers in Jesus. You see, the resurrection and its benefits are not abstract. They're not impractical. The resurrection of Jesus makes all the difference in the world for our lives as believers right here, right now. We need God's resurrection power toward us so that we can remain vigilant in our spiritual battle against sin and the devil. We need to know, we need to embrace this power to know the comfort and the assurance that we are the heirs, the beneficiaries of all of Christ's saving blessings, blessings which no trial of life can ever take away. We need to meditate daily upon this resurrection power so that we long more and more for the certain glories that await all of those who belong to God through Jesus Christ, His living and exalted Son. Amen. Let's pray together. Gracious God, there is almost too much here for us to even fathom. You have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places through Jesus Christ. By faith, we are united with Jesus Christ and all that He has and all that He has accomplished have become ours. And so we pray that we would lift up our eyes from our present existence, an existence that is often characterized by suffering and trial and want and pain. Help us to lift our eyes up from from this life and to look to our Savior to see where He is. He is in heaven. He is exalted at Your right hand. He stands in authority over every enemy of the church. And You tell us that where He is, there we are. We may seem marginalized in our society, but we are the rulers of heaven and earth. We may seem powerless, but we have all the power of Christ who rules all things for His church. And so, Lord, help us to walk with the eyes of faith, to look beyond our circumstances 
to cast our hope not in how we feel, not in what we are experiencing, not in what lies ahead of us tomorrow, but to cast our hope upon Christ, for He lives and reigns for us in the same power that has raised Him from the dead and placed Him in a seat of authority is the same power at work toward us. We have everything that we need, O God, for life and for godliness. May we then walk as children of light, children desiring to live for You. Thank You for these great blessings. Thank You for the comfort and assurance that they afford us. Open the eyes of our hearts, O God, so that we embrace them fully. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.